This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Okay, good to see you here tonight. Uh, better to be here than in a bar. So, praise the Lord. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much for your wonderful goodness. Thank you, Lord, that when we come to you, as that song said, we're never disappointed because Jesus never disappoints. And so, Lord, we thank you for saving Rachel and others, and we thank you, too, for strengthening all the summer blitzers as they're out there in the heat, in the rain, in the, in the, in the persecution of it all. But yet, Lord, we thank you for the spirit that they have that when they're knocked down, they get up again. And now, Lord, do teach us tonight as we look into your word in Jesus' name, amen. If you turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 47, verse 25, that's gonna be the text we're gonna use here. It's a very interesting background here, Genesis 47, verse 25. And this is the Egyptians, and they're speaking now, the Egyptians are speaking now to Joseph in Genesis 47, 25. And they said, and they said, thou hast saved our lives, let us find grace in the sight of my Lord, and we will be Pharaoh's servants. That's what they said. Thou hast saved our lives. Let us find grace in the sight of my Lord, and we will be Pharaoh's servants. Of all the characters in the Old Testament, no one represents the Lord Jesus Christ more than Joseph. Joseph is just such a fascinating history. Uh, the 10th of the 12 sons of Jacob, he was a pure man. He had a, a, just an uncompromising loyalty and character about him, sterling. I mean, Joseph represents in that way the purity of the Lord Jesus Christ, who was without sin. Joseph had this special relationship with his father. He was loved by his father more than any of his other brothers. And because of that, his father Jacob made him a coat of many colors. It represents for us how God the Father has a special relationship with God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Joseph was envied. He was hated by his brothers. Because of that envy, because of that hatred, his brothers cast him into an empty pit in the desert. 
And then they took him out and sold him as a slave to the Ishmaelites who were going down to Egypt. That represented how the people of the Lord Jesus Christ envied. Even Pilate said he knew that they had delivered the Lord Jesus to him because of envy. They envied him, they hated him, they turned him over to the Romans who crucified him. Joseph was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian, and then falsely accused of attempted rape of Potiphar's wife. That represented how the Lord Jesus Christ was falsely accused during his trial of intending to destroy the temple in three days and to build it again. Joseph was put in prison in Egypt, and then Pharaoh had a dream, and it couldn't be interpreted. And Pharaoh was told that there was a Hebrew. Joseph could interpret the dreams. And so Pharaoh took Joseph up out of that prison. That represented how on the third day after his death, the Lord Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Joseph was made ruler over all the land of Egypt. That represented, represents how the Lord Jesus Christ is the ruler of the universe. He's the, he's the judge of all men. And then immediately after becoming ruler of Egypt, Joseph went to work gathering all the food together and to protect Egypt from the coming starvation, to protect them from dying from the starvation. That represented how the Lord Jesus Christ worked to protect man from being eternally separated from God in hell. And during those great seven years of famine in Egypt, Joseph fed the Egyptians and he saved them from starvation. That represented how the Lord Jesus Christ took each one of our places on the cross and died for our sins to protect us from being cast into hell. Now, now, at this point in this history, Joseph has saved the Egyptians from the famine. The Egyptians have come to Joseph and they've said this verse that we're looking at here in verse 25 where they said, thou hast saved our lives and let us find grace in the sight of my Lord and we will be Pharaoh's servants. From their words, we can see further truths about the Lord Jesus Christ. The first statement they made to Joseph was, thou hast saved our lives. From what the Egyptians just said to Joseph, it was clear to the Egyptians that there was one and only one reason that they didn't die from the starvation, and that reason was a person, Joseph. The Egyptians didn't say something like, I'm saved from starvation because I'm an Egyptian and Egypt is the greatest country in the world. They didn't say that. Why, just look at our warehouses here, and look at all of our warehouse men, how they collected and stored all this corn so systematically with such organization only in Egypt. They didn't say that. The Egyptians didn't give credit to the country there of Egypt. They didn't do that, or to the Egyptian people, or how smart they were for saving their lives. They gave credit exclusively to Joseph. It was so clear to them when they said, thou hast saved our lives. It's like people today, people today who are saved. They don't say, the church saved me, or my conservative values changed, saved me, or my denomination saved me. Saved people say, the Lord Jesus Christ himself saved me. That's what they say, just like they said, the Egyptians said to Joseph, thou hast saved our lives. Joseph, Joseph saved the Egyptians from starvation, and if an Egyptian wanted to be saved, he had to go to Joseph. 
to be saved from starvation. When the Egyptians were starving, there was a time when they were starving and they came to Pharaoh for food and he told them in Genesis 41:55, Genesis 41:55, when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread and Pharaoh said unto all the Egyptians, go unto Joseph, what he saith to you, do. So simple. Pharaoh told the people, simply go to Joseph. The people had to go to Joseph. There was no other person who could save their lives, but just Joseph. It's with the way so it is with the Lord Jesus Christ. He saves a person. He's the only one who can save a person from their sins. A person to be saved from their sins must go to the Lord Jesus Christ. No one else can save a person from their sins. If a person wants to be saved from his sins, he's gotta go to him. He's gotta go to him. If he wants real life, he's gotta go to the Lord Jesus. If he doesn't go to the Lord Jesus, he will not get life. Like a group that the Lord Jesus addressed in John 5.40, in John John 5.40 when he said, you will not come unto me that you might have life. You won't come to me that you might have life. That's why it's so important in the Bible to take some time and look at the different groups that the Lord Jesus Christ said these words to, come unto me, come unto me. The first he said in Matthew eleven twenty eight. Matthew eleven twenty eight. the Lord Jesus said, come unto me, and the group was, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. And the promise was, I will give you rest. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He invited those who were working and working and working, trying to do good works to get into heaven and feel worn out. They feel exhausted with the effort, like the person who called in this week, a Jewish man in Los Angeles, and he was in his car, he was driving, and he told, he told Eric, he said, I tried the Judaism thing, he was Jewish, he said, I tried the Judaism thing and it was too much, too hard, too exhausting. And it is exhausting for the Orthodox Jews with 613 laws, and if you ask me, it's 613 and counting. And they work so hard to try and keep these laws, and they wear themselves out in the effort, and they never know. They never know if and when they've done enough to earn their way into heaven. And to those, he addresses those. He says, look, you're working so hard. You're trying to work your way into heaven. You're exhausted with the effort. The Lord Jesus says, Come unto me, come unto me for a change. In other words, he was saying, stop. Stop trying to work your way into heaven. Just come unto me. Just give up your efforts of trying to impress me with your life and come to me as a DRS, a dirty, rotten sinner. That's one begging for mercy, begging for forgiveness. The way to God is not through impressive works. The Orthodox Jewish people make so much of trying to do good works to gain their way to heaven. And their hero, their hero is Moses. Moses. In John 9.28, John 9.28, they said, they reviled him and said, thou art his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. Moses, that's their hero. But what made Moses great? What was the real reason for Moses' greatness? In the last of his books, the last of the five books of Moses, the book of Deuteronomy, in the third to last verse of the book, the third to the last verse in the book, we're told what made Moses so great. 
It says in Deuteronomy 34.10, Deuteronomy 34.10, there arose not a prophet since in Israel like unto Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. The Lord knew face to face. What's his greatness? It was not all the plagues that Moses brought on Egypt that made him great. What's his greatness? It was not the splitting of the Red Sea that made Moses great. What's his greatness? It was not bringing water out of rocks in the middle of the desert to give the people drink. It was not his leading the Jewish people for 40 years through the desert. It, what made Moses great was his friendship with God. That's what made him great. What made Moses great was that he knew God on a face-to-face -face basis, a friend of God like that. Moses never would have called God the name. He never would have called him the force either. But he never would have called them the name, or Hashem, as it is in Hebrew, means the name, which is how he's commonly referred to, God. Because Moses was friends with God, and friends do not call friends the name. So what the Jewish Orthodox people should strive for is the epitaph of Moses, which is here at the end of, the, of his books here, where he's spoken of as being a, such a friend to God that he speaks face-to-face -face with God. It was that face-to-face -face friendship that the Lord Jesus Christ invites us to have when he makes this invitation, come unto me. It's not a club exclusive for just Moses. You too, come unto me. Replace that life of working so hard, of trying so hard, of trying to impress your way into heaven. And then there's a second group. There's a second group that the Lord Jesus Christ invited to come unto him. And he addressed this group in John 7.37. John 7.37. John 7.37. He's in the temple. He's on the day of the feast. He says, in the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. This is a group who is invited to come to him, and they're called the thirsty, the thirsty, the thirsty. What are the thirsty? The thirsty are the people who feel there's just something just deeply missing in life. It's a group that feels this deep longing for something more in life what they have drunk from what the world has to offer has left them with just a terrible feeling of emptiness, of void. There's a yearning inside. There's a desire for a true satisfaction in life. There's, just a, there's a want for real happiness. There's a hungering and a thirst for fulfillment in life. They're called the thirsty. They're called the thirsty. And it's to them that the Lord Jesus Christ invites, come unto me, come unto me with the offer to fulfill that emptiness in the life, to give that true satisfaction, to give that fulfillment in life. It's the same offer that he made as Jehovah Jesus in Isaiah 55.1. Isaiah 55.1, he says, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. He that hath no money, come ye, buy, eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. That's the offer he made to the thirsty, to the bankrupt with no money. In life, it's just so easy to get on a treadmill of just making a living or doing what needs to be done next or not giving any thought 
to this deep void, this deep emptiness within. The feeling is, yeah, I guess I feel empty inside, but I'm just too busy to think about it. And like a horse that's running and running and running, and you have to sometimes, you say to the horse, ho, whoa, that's what he said in Isaiah 55, one. Ho, everyone that thirsteth. It's like saying to the horse, whoa, stop the world, let me off, and consider this emptiness, this deep thirst of the soul, the sense of incompleteness, just so much the opposite of what we just sung, complete in thee. That deep desire for this, in the soul for where's love, where's friendship, where's someone to lean on? And God says, you want all that? Come to me for that. Come to me. Trying to satisfy the soul's incompleteness outside of God is like being on a boat with no water in the ocean and then drinking ocean water to satisfy the thirst. You know what happens? It only makes you more thirsty because only God can satisfy the thirst. Nothing else, nothing less. And that's what David said in Psalm 63.1. Psalm 63.1. Oh God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. That's the second group that the Lord Jesus Christ invited to come to him, the thirsty, when he says, come unto me. Then there's a third group. There's a third group that the Lord Jesus invited to come to him. He invited them in Luke chapter 18, verse 16, Luke 18, 16, where it says, but Jesus called them unto him and said, suffer little children to come unto me and forbid them not for of such is the kingdom of God. It's the little children group that the Lord Jesus invited to come to him. You know, I just spent this last month working with the little children in the child evangelism booth in the Del Mar Fair, and it's been a privilege to work with the little children. They're so great because they're so uninhibited, and and I've gained a whole new appreciation for children and an understanding as to why the Lord Jesus Christ made this astounding statement, and it is astounding, as he said it in Matthew 18.3, Matthew 18.3, where he said, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now every one of man's religions doesn't matter which one it is. The man's religions were trying to reach God, reach up to heaven. They teach just the opposite of this statement. They all teach that you've got to learn and study like an adult and memorize like an adult and observe complicated traditions like an adult to enter in heaven. Now, they all teach that you've got to grow up and get away from being like a little child to enter into heaven. But the Lord Jesus Christ teaches the opposite. He says that to enter into heaven, you gotta make it about face in reverse and become like a little child. What is it about little children that he said you gotta become like them? Well, first of all, they believe. They believe what they're told. When I told the little children that God made everything in the child evangelism booth in Del Mar Fair, when I told them that God made everything, you know there was not one child that stood up and said, excuse me, can you please reconcile that with Darwin's theory of evolution? <laughs> Nobody said it. <laughs> I mean, that's just great. They believe. And children have tender consciences. They're tender consciences. I remember one child, when I asked him 
if he'd ever lied before. And he sunk his head down between his shoulders. It was so funny. He decided to run into a hole and just gave me this guilty smile like he was caught. <laughs> and then I remember little Anna, little Anna, she's about four years old. I said, Anna, have you ever lied? She didn't say a word. She just went. <laughs> One time. I said, okay, we're going to lead you in this sinner's prayer for forgiveness for the one lie. <laughs> That's children. Children are so trusting. They don't pull their hand away from yours saying, you know, they reach out their hand to be taken. And that's why the Lord Jesus Christ invited the group of children to come unto him, come to him. And that's the first statement that the Egyptians made to, to Joseph when they said, thou hast saved our lives. And that illustrates how only by coming to the Lord Jesus Christ can a person have his life saved from despair now and from the horrors of hell later. So we see this about the Lord Jesus Christ saying, come unto me in all these three groups. And then I can say to you, may I present to you a great savior, a great savior which also comes with a warning. He's a great savior, and the warning is in Hebrews 2.3, Hebrews 2.3, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation or neglect so great savior? The danger in life is a danger of neglecting the Lord Jesus Christ. So now when the Egyptians told Joseph, thou hast saved our lives, it was clear to the Egyptians that they had taken time to consider exactly what Joseph had done for them. It would have been so much easier for the Egyptians just to have said, well, that was a close call. Sure, I'm glad I'm over that. I almost got killed by the famine. That's all behind us now, so let's forget it and move on with the future before us. But when the Egyptians said to Joseph, thou hast saved our lives, they were taking time to see what Joseph had done for them. And those Egyptians were wise, very wise, in considering what Joseph had done for them. And they had the wisdom that God has yearned for, for his people, when he said in Deuteronomy 32, 29, Deuteronomy 32, 29, oh, that they were wise, that they understood this, that they would consider their latter end. It's a wise thing to think about latter end, what will happen after death. It's a wise thing for a person to think about what's gonna happen to me after I die. People fear death. It's healthy to fear death because death is the appointment time right after which comes the judgment according to nine, Hebrews 9.27. Hebrews 9.27, it's appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. And it's a catastrophe to go into judgment after death without having received God's love gift, the love gift of John 3.16, where God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shouldn't perish, have everlasting life. You know, just this last week at a restaurant and I asked the waitress, I said, uh, so um, do you know what's gonna happen to you after you die? And she said, well, I'm trying to be as good as I can trying to be as good as I can. At least she's thinking about it. Pray for her. That's why God yearned for his people during their lifetime to consider what's gonna happen to them after they die so that they'll run to God for his free 
love gift of salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ so that they can say, like the Egyptians said, thou hast saved our lives. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California. Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program was brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.